All right, praises be to our loving Father that we're gathered once again to study his words. Uh, we will basically answer just uh, one question, and it pertains to the parable of the ten virgins. And the question goes like this. Good day, Brother John. I have a question regarding the parable of the ten virgins, which is recorded in Matthew 25, 1 to 13. We know, Paul, that Christ always speaks in parables or figuratively. There's always an equivalent symbol of things in his parables, like the virgin likened to a church, as mentioned in the passages, Galatians 4.21, Ephesians 5.23, 2 Corinthians 11.2, Revelation 19.7.8, and Revelation 21.2. I'm just curious, why 10 virgins? So this is the question based on the parable on Matthew 25. Does it mean 10 brides? Does it mean 10 churches? It says five of them were foolish and five were wise. Is there anything in the Bible that explains about it? Thank you so much. Abba bless our BQA and BHP. And so the question we're going to be addressing tonight is focused on the parable Yahusha taught about the 10 virgins. How many here are familiar with this parable? Perhaps we've run across it every now and then. Maybe in our Bible reading, we read it and went through it, but did not really take the time to examine it, to explore it, and to see where it leads us in faith. And so this is what we're going to do this evening. We're go going to look at Matthew 25, 1 to 13, and especially understand what Yahusha wants us to do in response to this parable. Because every parable that Yahusha teaches has a lesson for us to learn, not only to learn, but especially to apply, because it prepares us for the kingdom of heaven and Matthew 25 the parable of the 10 virgins is no different so let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 25 let's begin first with verse 1 then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom and so when it comes to the kingdom of heaven it is likened to 10 virgins who had lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. We know that the kingdom of heaven represents basically our salvation. And it's likened to ten virgins. And these ten virgins each had lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? We know who that is, right? That's the one thing we're certain about. The bridegroom, of course, is none other than who? Our Lord and Savior, Yahushua. Mashiach. So for one to enter the kingdom of heaven, one must be able to first meet with the bridegroom. Because without the bridegroom, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So how can we be it with the bridegroom so that he can take us to the kingdom of heaven? Well, there are these 10 virgins who are awaiting the coming of Yahushua. How does the parable describe the ten virgins? Verse 2. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And so in the parable, the ten virgins were divided into two groups. Group number one, the wise virgins, five of them. And group number two, the foolish virgins. Now, which would you prefer to be, the wise or the foolish? I think that's... Uh, probably a rhetorical question. Of course, we would prefer to be the wise uh, virgin. What, what makes them wise? What's the distinction between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins in this parable of Yahusha? Three down to four. 
those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So what was the distinction between the wise and the foolish? They both had the same lamps, right? I mean, the foolish and the wise did not have different lamps. It doesn't say lamps for wit for wise virgins and lamps for foolish virgins. No, they had exactly the same lamps. But what made them wise and what the what this distinguished the wise from the foolish is that the wise took what? Took oil with them. The foolish did not take oil with them. But what happened according to the parable of Yahusha? To the bridegroom. Let's read verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Remember, the bridegroom's signal to go is when the house is ready. And the one uh, who is preparing that house, of course, is the bridegroom. And so when it's ready, it, it's time for him to go get his bride. But in this instance, the Bible says the bridegroom was Delayed. So what happened to the ten virgins? All ten of them. They all slumbered and slept, right? And so because they were expecting perhaps at a certain time the bridegroom would come and the bridegroom did not yet come, they maybe became a little lazy and they both slumbered and slept. However, what eventually happened? 25, 6 to 7, and at midnight a cry was heard. Behold. The bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And so when no one was expecting it, in, you know, when you look at the parable, they were both expecting, but they did not know the exact hour. Did you notice that? They did not know the exact day or hour, but they were both expecting. And so when at midnight, the cry was heard, all the virgins, all 10 of them, they rose up and trimmed their lamps. However, when their lamps were lit, what happened? What problem uh, presented itself to the foolish virgins? Eight to nine. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So the foolish virgins ran out of oil, and so their lamp was not producing the light it needed. And so what was their request to the wise virgins? Hey, can you give us some oil? But the wise virgin said, well, we, the, the, we, I don't, we don't have enough oil for this lamp and your lamp. It would be best for you to go to those who sell them, and buy for yourself. And so that's what they did. They went to buy for themselves uh, oil. And so while they were doing that, what happened? Verse 10. And while they, they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And so the bridegroom came. While the foolish virgins were out buying uh, oil for themselves, and when the bridegroom came, those who already went with him to the wedding entourage, and then the door was shut. And what happened when the 
foolish virgins realized that the bridegroom had already come and they were left out. Let's read 25 verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And so perhaps there is still a chance because of their foolishness, they were not prepared because the lamps ran out of oil. They did not have enough oil for their lamps. Because of that foolishness, what happened to the foolish virgins? Well, they were left out. And when they came back and they saw that the entourage was still there, they asked, Lord, Lord, open to us. What was the reply of the master? Verse 12, but he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And so because they were not prepared, the foolish virgins were not allowed to participate in the wedding of the bridegroom and the bride. And what is the message? What is the purpose of this parable? Like always, every time Yahushua would teach a parable, he would have a conclusion, right? He will explain to us what the parable is all about. So what is it all about? This is the conclusion, verse 13. Uh, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So what was the purpose of the parable of Yahushua? To remind us that we need to prepare for the arrival of Yahusha, the son of man. We do not know the day or hour, but we know when it is near. Just like the virgins in the parable, they knew it was near. But when it was delayed, most they were all discouraged, became discouraged a little bit. And so we too, just like the 10 virgins, perhaps while we wait for the arrival of the bridegroom, perhaps we might be discouraged as well, or maybe we could be complacent and we sleep and slumber. But the one thing we must never do is to run out of oil. And so that's the whole point of the parable of Yahusha, to prepare by making sure we have enough oil to be watchful for the arrival of the son of man. So what is the question based on this parable? Question is, does it mean, I'm just curious, but why 10 virgins? Does it mean 10 brides? Does it mean 10 churches? That's a very interesting question, right? Because the Bible says there were 10 virgins, but the parable, take note, this does not teach there were 10 brides, 10 virgins. Who could those 10 virgins possibly be? What do you think? Who could those 10 virgins possibly be? What is the role in the wedding? The 10 virgins. If they're not the bride, then what is the role in the wedding? Well, before we answer that, we need to understand something about the Jewish wedding. Because this is a Jewish wedding that we are studying here. Because Yahushua is speak is addressing in the book of Matthew, a Jewish audience. An audience composed of people who are accustomed to the Jewish ways. And so we need to understand how the common uh, Jewish wedding was constructed. And so in the next screen, we have various stages of the, the wedding or marriage process. It begins with the betrothal, 
betrothal, then a preparation, arrival of the groom, and then the wedding party, right? The wedding feast. And so let's begin with the betrothal. Number one, the marriage covenant is established. This is the legal consummation of the marriage. This is when a price for the bride is negotiated and paid by the groom to the bride's family. So it's similar to what we call today in the United States as engagement, right? But to the Jews, it was already legally binding. As a matter of fact, if during the betrothal stage, one of the one of the parties, either the bride, the bride, uh, the bridegroom, or the bride, if they are unfaithful, then they are guilty already of what adultery. Okay, so it was legally binding in the Jewish mindset. So it's the betrothal. Number two is the preparation. The husband returns home after becoming betrothed or engaged to prepare a home for the woman. So preparations are made in the father's house where the woman is going to be taken after the wedding or during the wedding, okay? The woman also made preparations for married life as well. Often this would be about a year of preparation. And so the preparation is a big aspect of the whole custom of Jewish weddings. Number three, finally, at the right time, the groom will arrive, but he will not arrive by himself. Once the groom finishes his preparations, the house is ready, uh, he would come to collect his bride. This was usually done at night. This is why in the parable, when does Yahusha come? Or when does the bridegroom come in the parable? At midnight, that was a typical custom. The groom would be accompanied by a wedding party, male escorts, and a best man. They would carry torches to light their procession. And so what happens is when it's time to get the bride, there's going to be a procession coming from the father's house. They will go to the, 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 the bride's uh, home together together with the, uh, the, wedding, uh, wed the wedding party, the male escorts and the best man. And so there's a big procession, a procession. They're going to go all the way to the bride's house. The bride knew he would be coming, but would not know when exactly, hence needing to be prepared. The groom would arrive with a shout to get the attention that they have arrived. And so once they arrive, there's a big shout, right? Like the shout of the archangel. Notice that you see some parallels here. There's a big shout, and then the groom would take his bride. What happens after he takes his bride? Remember, remember, there was a procession to go to go to the bride's house. There's going to be another procession to go back to the groom's house to do what? To have the wedding feast, to have the wedding uh, party. Uh, and so in four. The bride, along with her female attendants, would accompany the groom back to his family home for a wedding celebration. The bride and groom entered the wedding tent called a chuppah to physically consecrate the marriage. And so in the, in the first stage, it was legally consummated. In this last stage, it is also physically consummated. The bride would bring out the evidence of her virginity. Their marriage was essentially finalized. Follow, this is followed by a week of feasting and celebration by the entire bridal party. 
And so this is what happens back in the first century on, during a typical wedding feast or a wedding celebration or a wedding in general. And so when we look at number four, right, after the arrival of the, the, the bridegroom and takes his bride, there's a procession. They go back where? To the groom's house for the celebration, right? While they're going back along the way, along the way as they go back, they're going to pick up the female attendants. The female attendants, if you notice here, right? In the Jewish custom, these female attendants are also virgins. And we typically call them, what do we call them? Bridesmaids, female attendants or bridesmaids. They would accompany the bride in the procession back to the groom's house for the wedding feast. So the female attendants, the bridesmaids who were called, they were indeed blessed because they had a great part in the wedding ceremony or in the wedding feast, right? So this is a great blessing for the bridesmaids. And so to answer the question, who are the 10 virgins? Are they 10 churches, 10 brides? No, the 10 virgins are not 10 brides. They're not 10 churches. There's only one bride with 10 bridesmaids. But in the parable, only five of the bridesmaids made it because in the, in the, the Jewish custom, the, the bridesmaids had to be ready because when they do the procession back to the home, they're going to stop by, you know, along the way, they're going to pick up the bridesmaids. If they were not ready, they're going to be left out. And this is why uh, it goes to the bride first, and then they pick, they pick up the bride first, and then they pick up the uh, bridesmaids. I want you to kind of see the, the picture in your mind of what goes first, okay? So that's what happens during a typical Jewish wedding. Um, so we know that there's one bride and there are 10 bridesmaids. This is why in the parable of Yahusha, we read earlier in Matthew 25, 1, right? 10 virgins in the New King James. In the NLT, in the New Living Translation, it says the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So it's clear that the parable concerning the 10 bridesmaids the bridesmaids are, is not the bride itself, but they are assistants to the bride, which goes back, which takes us now to the other question, which is, I'm just curious, why 10 virgins, right? Why not seven virgins? Why not 12 virgins? Why 10? Well, to answer that question, I really don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why 10, but you can think about, other passages of scripture, and you can perhaps, we can speculate, nothing wrong with that, but we don't make this dogmatic, right? Is it coincidence Yahusha said something which describes the purpose of his ministry? Because in Matthew 15, verse 24, he says, he answered and said, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Right? And specifically, it mentions in the passage, Yahusha mentions 
lost sheep. Why? To specify the house of Israel, not the house of Judah, because there are two houses in the, the, the in Israel itself, the house of Judah, the house of Israel. Why? When did this happen? In First Kings 11, uh, 31 to 32. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says Yahuwah, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So, you know, we know what happened uh, during uh, the reign of King Solomon. He introduced idolatry. And because of this, Yahuwah God was angry. And because of his anger, he said to Jeroboam, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give you how many tribes? Ten tribes. The other two tribes would remain with the descendants of Solomon, right? So we have the northern kingdom, which is composed of ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, which is composed of two tribes. The northern, the northern kingdom is the house of Israel. That's the green part. And the southern kingdom is called the house of Judah. So Israel split into two kingdoms, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And the house of Israel consisted of ten northern tribes. Jeroboam was king, but he, the, the northern tribes of Israel, they were more wicked. I mean, they were both wicked, really. But the Israelite, the house of Israel, they were more wicked than the house of Judah. And they encouraged idolatry and appointed false priests. Samaria became their capital. Ahab and Jezebel were evil rulers and did not accept God. Judah, there were only two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Rehoboam was their first king. And Jerusalem was capital with the temple. Okay, so of the two houses, the one that really was dedicated dedicated in upsetting and causing God to be angry was Israel to the point that Yahuwah God says, I have divorced Israel. Israel is like a harlot. And so Israel was dispersed through, throughout many nations. And Israel would not be able to go back to the land. After the Babylonian captivity, the exiles of Judah were able to go back to the land. And so when Yahusha came to was here on earth some 2,000 years ago, and he was in Jerusalem, the Jews there came from basically the tribes of, of Judah, okay, the exiles of Babylon. That was the audience of Yahusha HaMashiach. The Israelites, the house of Israel, when Yahusha was here on earth, they were not returned to their land. This is why Yahusha said, I came for the ten, the, the lost house of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Could it be, this is just speculation, you know, could it be that the ten uh, bridesmaids represent the work of Yahusha to bring back, to bring back Israel as a whole? as was mentioned in Romans chapter 11, 
of Apostle Paul's preaching. Is it possible that after Yahusha is finished with his assembly, and then Yahuwah God focuses on bringing back Israel, could it be that they are represented by the, the bridesmaids? It could be, okay, but we cannot be certain at this moment. Remember, this is a parable of Yahusha. We need to be cautious about reading too much into the parable. But if we go using, if we use the parable as context and ask the, the following question, well, who is the bride and who are the bridesmaids? I think we know who the bridegroom is, Yahusha. Well, who is the bride? Second Corinthians 11.2, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So who is the bride? That's the church or the assembly that was given birth to on the day of Pentecost. And so that assembly, that group of people who believed in Yahusha and were baptized into his body, they represented the wife to be of Yahusha, the bride of Yahusha the Christ in Ephesians 5 31 to 32 for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church and so the church or the assembly that is the bride of Yahushua and there's going to be a wedding a wedding of the lamb that will take place after those who are to be saved have been taken by Yahushua and brought to salvation. Revelation 19, 7 to 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb's come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So in this passage of scriptures that speaks of an event that will take place in the future, the marriage of the Lamb and his bride, which is the church or the assembly. And so there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And in that marriage supper of the Lamb, there will be those who are going to be invited, right? Who are they? Well, first of all, the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, the best man, most of all who? The bride. This uh, brings up a question, question that I want you to think about, right? In the parable of Yahusha, the parable of the ten virgins, those Five, the five wise virgins, are they going to be saved? Yes or no? Yeah, they're included in the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? The bride, is she going to be saved? Yes. What's the bride again? The assembly. So if the bride is going to be saved, and those who are invited in the marriage supper of the Lamb are also going to be saved, question is, well, who are they? The bride we know is the church. Well, who represent the invited guests? Who represents those who are included in the entourage, the wedding entourage, right? Who are they? Just like what we uh, mentioned to you, it could be 
that they refer to those who will be saved after or after the tribulation, not before the tribulation. And so we have a lot to talk about concerning that, which we will not do at this time. But this could be suggesting, or again, we're not being dogmatic about this. We're just thinking because it doesn't say directly that's what it means. We're just thinking. We're looking into the parable of Yahusha and asking the questions. If there's the bride, then who are the bridesmaids, right? It could be that the bridesmaids represent those who also will be saved, but will not be included as the bride of Yahusha. Because when we think about the body of Yahusha, the body of, the, of Yahusha is likened also to the church, but is it also possible when we talk about the total body of Yahusha, that it includes subsets, maybe within the body of Yahusha, there are those who will represent the bride. There are those who represent the guests. There are those who represent the entourage, different levels in the body of Yahusha, corresponding maybe to different rewards on the day when Yahusha returns. It could be, like what we said, we're thinking out loud at this moment, because this parable of Yahusha is very rich in meaning, and we can really only speculate about it, okay? So we have the bridesmaids, we have the bridegroom, we have the bride. Well, how about the best man? Who is the best man? Who could that be? Let's read the book of John, 328 to 30. Your, you yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. Pause there. Who is the one speaking? John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. The best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So in this wedding banquet, there are different roles, which suggest to us when we are saved and when we are celebrating salvation with Yahushua, our king, there are different responsibilities we're going to fulfill, right? There are those who will fulfill the role of best man, fulfill the role of uh, the part of the wedding entourage, fulfill the role of the wife of Yahushua. And those who will, and of course, the bridegroom who is the king. And so this could point to different levels of rewarding in the life that is to come. However, if I were given a choice, if you were given a choice, what would you prefer? <laughs> Which would you want to be? The best man, the bride, uh, or the, the groomsman? The bridesmaids, somebody said, I want to be the groomsman or I want to be the, uh, the bride, the bridegroom. No, you can't be that. <laughs> Probably a lot of us will say, I wish I'm included among the bride, right? The wife of Yahusha. And it, those who are going to be included in the wife, uh, um, to be the wife of Yahusha, they're the ones they're the ones who, when Yahusha appears, they will be taken, according to 1 Thessalonians, into the air with him and taken to his salvation. And so we need to be among that group. And it's a great blessing to be 
included among what is called the bride of Yahusha, because after the marriage takes place, what's going to happen to the bride of Yahusha? Well, in the book of Psalms 45 and the verses 9, Psalms 45 is a messianic prophecy. And so it speaks about the coming Messiah, and he is the king, right? King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. And so according to scriptures, those who is, those who is considered to be the bride, the assembly, the church of belong to Yahushua, the bride, right? They hold a special honor because Yahusha is king. The bride is going to take the position of what? Queen. And so where the king goes, the queen follows. And so if the king rules, the queen also rules. This is why it's not surprising in many passages of scriptures, those who belong to Yahushua, right? What are they going to do? They're going to act as judges. They're going to judge even the angels. They're going to rule with him with an iron scepter in the upcoming kingdom. And so those who are included among the bride of Yahushua, those who are included there, they are the ones who in the future life, in the future events, they will be the ones who will co-rule with Yahushua. They will be his assistants in ruling over Israel of the millennial, quote-unquote, uh, kingdom. Okay, So that's what we see in the parable. However, like what we said, um, let's not take this as dogma, but... For us, at least for me, the main message, the main message of the parable is not whether or not who is the bride, who's the groom and all that, right? We all didn't know who, who the groom is, but it's not about speculation. For us, the main message is the conclusion of the parable. That's what we need to apply in our life today. Not to busy ourselves in speculation, but to apply what Yahushua wants to teach us. What was that again? In verse 13, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So that's the, the message. This is what we need to bring home with us tonight. After we, after we fulfill or finish this Bible study, we need to make sure we heed, we heed this command of Yahushua. This is the purpose of the parable. Yes, there are nice things that the parable alludes to, but let us focus on the action item. What is that? We need to be watchful. Why do we need to be watchful? Because the events taking place in the world today suggests that Yahusha can come at any time, right? And so we need to always be prepared. And so this parable teaches us how to watch. This parable teaches us how to prepare ourselves. How do we do that? If we go back to 25.5, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. We believe an important part of this parable is the feeling that some of us have when we are expecting the return of Mashiach, but it seems that while we expect him to come right away, it seems that it's always being delayed. Do you feel like that sometimes? Because we often hear from others and they always seem to complain, you know, we've heard it's near judgment days. We've heard that from our parents, from our grandparents, right? They said that back then, during the days of Brother Felix Manalo, they thought it was going to be the end of the world back then. 
But then during the days of Brother Iranio Manal, during our time today, it still hasn't happened yet. And so uh, when we anticipate that he will come at any time, yet it's being delayed, some of us could be discouraged. And so we need to watch ourselves to make sure that we don't become discouraged. Because if there's a delay, we know the purpose of that delay, right? Yahuwah God in the book of Peter says that he wants more people to be saved. And so we use that as an opportunity to spread, to spread the message of salvation, to spread the message of the gospel. <clears throat> so this is what we need to do instead of thinking, oh, there's a delay. I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to slumber. Instead of slumbering and sleeping, we need to be even more zealous and dedicated in sharing our faith and the gospel message. Okay, so let's not be discouraged. Instead, let's continue to be active and awake and watchful. How can we be truly watchful? In verse 2, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. We need to be wise, not foolish. What happens to the foolish? Bible says afterwards the virgins uh, came also, the, ten, the, the five foolish ones, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so this warning of Yahushua through his parable applies to all of us, applies to all of us, because it's possible there are people who will believe in Yahushua, right? But they'll be disappointed because they will not be allowed to be with him in his wedding ceremony. I mean, how would you feel if you were left out like that, right? Can you imagine your, you see your friends, you see your loved ones, they're having fun, enjoying the festivities together with the Messiah, and they're out going to celebrate the wedding feast, and you're left out? I mean, can you, is there a, a, a disappointment greater than that? When you feel left out, I mean, even in this life, if, for example, you plan a trip together with your best friends in high school, and you're going to go on a, a big road trip, right? And they come and meet together and they leave, but you got, you were there, you arrived late, and so they left you behind. And so they're all enjoying your sulking at home, you got left behind. Yeah, not a good feeling, right? How much more? How much more? If when Yahusha comes, and we had the opportunity to be with him. But when he came, we were not prepared because we were foolish. I mean, the disappointment is going to last forever. And so, brethren, we need to make sure we are not among the foolish. Instead, we are among the wise. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be wise? Because when we look at the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins, they all had so much in common, right? They were both. I mean, they both had faith in Yahushua. They called him Lord. They both were invited to the wedding banquet. So the salvation was offered to them. They had the opportunity to be saved, right? They were both waiting for the bridegroom's return. They both had the same lamps. They both slumbered and slept. So they were identical. What made one wise and the other foolish? What was the distinction? If you so remember three to four, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. That's the big difference. And if we're going to learn something from this parable of Yahushua, it is this. Brethren, do we have oil in our lamps? Do you have your lamps 
all of us have, all of us, we should all have lamps. We all have lamps. But the question is, do we have oil that will light up the lamp? Do you know what the lamp is? What is the lamp that has been given to us? All of us. What is that lamp that has been given to us? Well, in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. What is the lamp that's been given to us? The word of God. We all have studied the Bible. We all heard the gospel message. We all heard the teachings of Yahushua. And we all profess faith in him. All the ten virgins, they have what we all, we have what they have. We have the lamp. We have the word of God. Perhaps you probably even have a Bible at home. Perhaps you even read the Bible. Maybe you listen to the Bible studies that we present here during the BQA and BHP. Perhaps you participate in our worship services. It's all good. That's your lamp. We have the lamp. But the question is, do we have what makes the lamp effective? What is that? The oil. The five foolish virgins also had the lamp. They also had the word of God. They also believed in Yahushua. They also did the right things. I mean, they all worshiped. They probably prayed as well. They had faith. They all did those things. What they lacked was what? The oil. And so what we need to ask ourselves is, do we have the oil? Because without the oil, the lamp will be useless. You get that? So what is the oil that we need to possess? Let's read Leviticus 24.2. Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. So what is the oil? The oil comes from olives that are pressed. Olives are fruits of the olive tree, right? The fruit of the olive tree is our olives. You cannot make oil without olives. And so what does this teach us? For us to have oil, what we need to do is to bear fruits in our life. Fruits that, that show that we have oil, right? And so what is that oil? What does oil represent in the Holy Bible? The book of Acts 10.38. And you know that God anointed Yahushua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Yahushua went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. What is the oil represent in the Holy Scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Anointing with oil is represented by the Holy Spirit. So the question is, do we have the Holy Spirit? In other words, are we showing the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Do we have oil? Oil is the fruit. It comes from the fruit, the olive that is pressed. In other words, as we go through difficulties in life, when we are hard pressed on every side, what is our response to the tribulations? What is our response to the problems in life? Do we show oil? Are we producing the fruit, the oil in our life? And so for us to be prepared, for us to be watchful, for us to be invited when Yahushua returns, we need to make sure we produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? 
What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's read the final passage of our studies today. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we must be producing so that we can say, we can be confident when Yahushua returns, we will be included among those who will be saved? Well, we need to produce love and joy, and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let's ask ourselves, brethren, are we expressing this in our life? Are we showing love? Do we have joy? Do we have peace? Do we have patience? Are we kind to others? Do we show goodness to others? Are we faithful in the work given to us? Are we gentle even when we're being attacked? Do we, are we able to exercise self-control? Because if you are someone who has studied the Bible, and you have mastered the contents of the Old Testament, New Testament. You are someone who understands Greek and Hebrew. You understand all the different prophecies of Scripture. But you don't have this. You don't have the Holy Spirit's fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and all that. You have the lamp. But you don't have what? The oil. What does the Bible call that? Foolish. We have to be wise. That's why we told you, brothers and sisters, this parable about the ten virgins, the most important part of it, do we, are we prepared? Are we prepared? Meaning, are we showing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life? Only you can answer that question. But if we are not yet showing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's what we need to work on. That's what we need to pray to Yahuwah Abba about so that we can show the results of the Holy Spirit in our life life they're the ones who when yahushua appears will receive everlasting life that is our lesson let us stand brethren and we shall pray almighty and everlasting father yes. yahuwah our god in heaven yes thank you so much for the clarity of your holy words yes we praise you forever for your compassion and love Amen. father thank you for your teachings today yes help us please to be well prepared, yes. to be wise in our actions, Amen. to show the results of the Holy Spirit, yes. the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Yes. If we have not been able to do that yet, may you teach us to repent. Amen. That is the key, loving Abba. We know we have to examine self. Yes. We know that we have to ask the tough questions about our own self yes. instead of judging others. And examining the life of other people. Yes. You want us to truly and heartfully look at our own life. Yes. So that we can make changes in our attitudes. Amen. In the words we met, use. In our thoughts. Yes. In our Father. feelings and emotions. Amen. Help us, Father, that we may be able to correct ourselves. Yes. And in our self-examination. Teach us to repent properly. Yes. Thoroughly. And as we approach you after repentance. May you please manifest yourself. Yes. May we feel your presence. May you help us, O oh Father, that we will be able to fulfill, to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit in Amen. our life. Yahusha, our King. Yes. 
we want to meet you someday. Yes. We know that you are coming soon. Yes. Help us to be watchful, yes. to be ready, to be excited for your appearing yes. so that we can be engaged in our preparations, yes. doing our very best to look for you everywhere yes. as we study the scriptures. May we find you as we live out our life. Yes. May we represent you even to those who mock us, even yes. to those who reprimand and persecute us, Amen. that we can make you proud of us, yes. that we can declare you are our, you are our king, yes. our loving Mashiach. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers. Yes. May you heal your people who are sick. Yes. May you bless the livelihoods of your people yes. and help us, Father, to work together to share the gospel message to many more people. Amen. We ask and beg everything, loving Abba, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha, the Christ. Amen. Amen.